uh, chapter, section, seri- uh, sermon in our series called Breathe. And, uh, and I've got to be honest with you, this has been, uh, I, we, we've worked through some tough passages in the last eight years, like Romans 8, that is known as being, uh, you know, just a magnificent passage of scripture, and you know, you chew on it, you look at it, and, you, and, I, and I love that, and it's been great, and there's some, we've talked about some tough things over the last few years. I made a commitment to you when I first started pastoring uh, that, uh, that I wouldn't avoid topics, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, well, I don't want to really preach on that because people might not like that and they might leave. Well, we found out that, yeah, I will preach on that. And yeah, they do leave. <laughs> Go figure. And, um, you know, and, and so I made that commitment to you. And, and I would say this series has been one of the most challenging ones for me to prepare because it is so close to home. It is so close to home. When I talk about how to use your time in a godly way, how to use finances in a godly way. And, um, and I know the pastoral world is a bit of a mystery for, for lots of people. And I, and I say this in no defense at all. Um, I understand, you know, you kind of go, well, what, what does he do all week? You know, he sits around and prays and reads and then turn ups on a Sunday and does some point in yelling enthusiastically and then goes home. Um, and you know what? That's part of it. Yeah, you're right. That, that does happen um, for sure. But there's an aspect to pastoring that some of you will understand because of the nature of your jobs. Um, some of you may not quite understand because you never had a conversation with a pastor um, in, in this regard. You know, these are awkward things. But the reality is, I would say the topic that I'm going to share with you this morning... Um, it's, it's not just important. I wish that, and I hope it's getting recorded, Drew and the team do an amazing job, but I wish that everybody in the South would get to hear this message. And it's not because I think it's a great message. It's just that I, I honestly believe that, that what I'm going to share is so crucial. It's literally life and death. It's literally life and death. If you want to know what a pastor's job is, I have the best job in the world. It's wonderful. I, I, I teach people on how to, on soul care. You know, it, it's, it's wonderful, but there are aspects of the job that are life and death. If I think I reflected this morning on um, the last seven or eight years pastorally. Now, now understand, this is just out of almost 30 years of ministry that I've been involved in now. Um, this is just a, a window, just a window. And, and some of you will understand this is the world that we live in. And, and this is the culture that we're in. And, and, and it's hugely important. And so I hope this doesn't offend you, but this is, this is the reality of which I work in and many of you work in. And this is why this message is life and death. So just over the last eight years, I, I think about some of the things that have come across my path pastorally. I think about addictions. Not just, not just the addictions that Laura was referring to that that she has experienced firsthand as the effect it has on a family, but every level of addiction, whether it be an addiction to something on the computer or, or whether it be uh, shopping, whether it be alcohol, whether it be, uh, if, if you don't know what this means, I'm not going to explain it, but swinging is very popular, especially where I live in top of Kelowna. Addiction, it, it's huge. That is the world, the pastoral world that I, that I live in, that I, that I try to minister in. Think of abuse, 
I can think of things in the last eight years. Abusive situations, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, families that on the outside because they pull up in their Lexus, it's all good. I just made that car up, so don't be thinking, oh, who drives a Lexus? That just came to me. I don't know why. Um, the, the abuse, affairs, multiple affairs, marriage breakdowns, self-harming, suicide, theft, gossip, prostitution, Satanism. This is, this is the world in which we expect young kids to come out of Bible school and go, okay, you could go be a pastor. It, it's mind-boggling. This is our world. This is our church. This is our culture. This is our society where we are constantly baited, constantly baited um, to, to, to live life on the edge, to, to morally push it. That it's okay for you to um, uh, for you to try. Go be yourself. Go do whatever you think feels right. And the reality is this: when I think of some of the situations that I've been very involved in, and, and still involved in in many ways, and that was just a snapshot. As I think about those, nobody goes into a marriage planning on having multiple affairs, do they? Nobody starts off there it's a gradual movement towards and so this is the world that we are living in that that we and and here's the sad thing and I know I'm straight into this and because this is so important and I and I don't want to waste my time and and I certainly don't want to waste your time but but the reality is is as a pastor one of the frustrations is is that I find out we find out too late it's after the fact it's when the consequences are playing out that then, then pastorally, generally, we find out. Especially, and this is the fourth church that I pastored in in some way, especially in the mission, way after the fact, because of the veneer, because of the everything's fine, we don't want to talk about this, we want to project that everything's okay, the, our Instagram world. And so I, often pastorally, it's, the, it's when it's too late and, it, and it's so sad because none of these people... None of these people started off planning on these issues and these challenges and these difficulties. Now, you might listen to that list and go, well, I'm all right. Because if that's some of the stuff that Glenn's having to come alongside people, then my world, you know what, that's fine. I'm not, <laughs> you know, we're, we're a long way from that. And you know what, praise God that you are. But the reality is, like I said, that this sermon applies to every one of us. Whether it be our own lives that we're, we feel the tension and we're living too close to the edge. Or whether we're parents or mentors or grandparents because our kids are living and growing up in this world where we are constantly being baited. Constantly being baited. Constantly being searched out. Constantly being pulled to the edge. Because our culture will say this, be the person you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. If it doesn't hurt anybody, then you go for it. Because we're not going to judge you. Everyone else is doing it anyway, which is not true. That's a lie. And you know what? It's not going to hurt anyone. Not true. It, it, the, it will hurt. It will. There are always consequences to decisions and paths that we go down. Now then, you might be here for the first time, or maybe you're just looking at the South, and I want to be really honest with you. This, this is one of those sermons where you go, wow, that, that's pretty, pretty heavy, and we're not like this every week, but I have a responsibility before the Lord to actually go, guys, this is, this is the reality that we live in, and this is what the Bible has to say about this. Um, 
as, as many of you know, that Sarah had the accident some seven weeks uh, ago now. Is it seven weeks left? And, uh, and so you go into the hospital and they do an amazing job. We have a phenomenal hospital and they, they, they sort things out short term. And then they give you an appointment to go back to go to the, uh, the special ward that deals with breakages. I've waited in lots of waiting rooms in my time, uh, both on a personal level, whether it be for surgery or something like that, or I've been in waiting rooms. Can I tell you, there is no waiting room like a broken bone waiting room. It's fascinating, verging on the entertaining. And the only reason I'm saying that is because we were sat there and everybody really wants to know, ooh, what happened to you? Well, would you like to see my x-rays? And then there's this, I fell off a ladder or I was skiing down big white in a, in a wheelchair or whatever. These amazing stories that come out because these broken, the broken bone waiting room is by far the most entertaining. I say that lovingly. And I say it kindly because we've spent some time in there listening to people's stories. And what's interesting is you generally arrive at a similar time two or three weeks after as well. So then you get caught up. Well, how's it going now? Well, you know, and so you get this, this thing. And then you go into the area where they do the x-rays and the amazing doctors and the surgeons. And they look at your x-ray. And the reality is, is this, is that decisions, for example, so let's say, I don't know, let's just pick one off the top of my head, cross-country skiing. Cross-country skiing is all fun and giggles and hugs when it's on the flat. But when you decide to do black diamond cross-country skiing downhill, there are consequences, and it leads to brokenness, and it leads to pain. It leads to consequences, and, and it leads to, I wish I hadn't done that. Now, I'm, 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 I'm using my wife as an illustration because I know that she would agree with me in this. There are consequences to making decisions to go certain places, to do certain things that ultimately result in pain and in brokenness. Not necessarily just for you and your soul, but also for people around you. It takes one poor decision. It takes one time not to say no. It takes one decision that will put you on a trajectory of brokenness. It takes one decision for kids to grow up in one or no parent families. For parents to go to their kids' funerals. One decision. One poor decision. One decision not to turn away from the bait. It takes one decision to lose your reputation forever. It takes one decision to lose your self-esteem. And you see, as you're going to see that we live in a world that is constantly baiting us towards this destruction, this brokenness, this pain. Because as Christians, we believe, as the Bible says, that we have an enemy that is out there seeking to kill and destroy. And it doesn't happen necessarily immediately. He's quite happy to allow you to gradually move towards the brokenness. And so decisions that we make today may not have the consequence of brokenness tomorrow, but they could in 3, 4, 5, 10, 20 years' time, where the fruit of that decision starts becoming apparent. And so as a pastor, as we start working, and the many of you work with people who are going through brokenness, that those decisions, if we can somehow stop people going there and receiving the bait, surely that makes it one of the most important messages that I could speak. And it's so beautifully simple. How do we navigate this world? How do we, how do we live in such a way where we, are not, we, we won't stop the baiting, but we can resist the baiting? 
How do we parent in such a way where we are bringing children up that they are thriving, that we're not having to kind of mollycoddle them and put them around and put packaging around them and a safety helmet and send them off to school, that we're so petrified that they might come into contact with something that will bait them. Let me, let me just tell you, as somebody who has young adult parent, uh, children and little ones as well, a little one, he's almost the same height as me, he's 13. Let me just tell you, having been there and done it, your children will be baited one day. You might want to switch the TV off, take away the iPhone, stop this, stop that, don't look at that, don't smell that, don't even think about doing that. One day, they will be baited. And as a parent, it's our responsibility to make sure that our children are not only equipped with the ability to say no, but understand that that no needs to be supported with power and strength that isn't just of themselves and and self-will and determination. We have to learn how to do that because our world increasingly is baiting our kids and they are dying. It takes one decision, one decision for a baby to be aborted out of a womb. One poor decision, one night, results in consequences that potentially are eternal. So how do we navigate this? I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us more than let's just hope it doesn't happen. Because if we had time, I could, have, I could give the mic to many, perhaps all of you, and you could come up and you could share stories of brokenness because of decisions that have resulted in, that have started in being baited. Hope isn't enough. I hope this doesn't happen to my kid. If I send them to this school and stop this and navigate them this way, then maybe I can stop. And to a certain degree, you can shield them, but there will be a day. There will be a day when they will see and they will have to say no for themselves. So how do we do that? And I'm grateful this scripture we're going to look at uh, really empowers us to do it. And as Christians, we are in the best position to actually be able to live life away from the edge. That even though the baiting comes, we can say no. Here's the scripture. It's a very well-known scripture. This is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul uh, from Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So, oh look, apparently he wrote it twice. I didn't realize I'd put it on twice there at the bottom. Paul, Ephesians 6.14. Paul, Ephesians 6.14. Actually, 13 and 14. Oh my goodness, it's so confusing. Here's what I want you to notice. First of all, this is very, very important. Understand that the battle is already raging. That we can plug our ears, parents, we can close our eyes and hope. The reality is that we and our children are already in the battle. The battle has already started. doesn't matter what school you send them to, what you don't let them watch, what you don't put in their hands, or whatever it might be. As parents later on, I don't want you to think this is a sermon for parents. It's really not. But for you and your place in life, regardless of your age, this is why this sermon is a leveler. It includes everybody. You are already in the battle. The battle has already started. Look what it it says here. It says, having been buckled. That's what actually it means. So let's look at this scripture again. It says, the belt of truth buckled. It's past tense. You don't ask a soldier to stand before the battle started. It's a stand. You are already in the battle. Having been buckled, you are already prepared. That's what Paul is saying. It's so important that we as Christians prepare 
to stand strong. Because once the battle started, the soldier is not scrambling around thinking, well, where's my breastplate or where's my shield? It's already in place. And so as a Christian, it's so important that we prepare to stand and stand strong. Preparation takes time. It takes thinking. It takes strategy. Like if I said to some of you today, uh, on Friday, we're going to run a half marathon, a marathon. Some of you were like, bring it on. Where do you want me? Absolutely, yes. Now, those, lunas, those people in the room will be thinking that because they're already running. They're already prepared. Some of you will be like, no chance. No way. Because we, I join in that group, have not prepared. We are not ready. In fact, it would be a terrible day. There is no way that I would be able to finish a marathon. Well, I could, eventually. But not in the same kind of speed as everybody else. You've you've heard the story of that time when I I faked my cross-country time. You know, that's that's another story that I've said a few times, so I'm not going to say it again. But I faked the cross-country time when I was at school. And as a result, got put into the cross-country team nightmare because then I had to represent the school running cross country at St. David's College. It was awful. Me and my two buddies that did it it was terrible. We weren't prepared. And so what Paul is saying here is the preparation starts before. Pastorally and also just by experience, we know it to be true that we are very, very quick to bring God into the battle once we start experiencing the consequences. It's the, oh God, I need you. Help me. God, if you're there, love that. Help me. And you know what? God loves those prayers. Loves those prayers. Wouldn't it be good to bring God into the battle before the consequences? Wouldn't it be good to actually say, actually, I'm going to bring in God before the consequences start happening. I'm going to prepare to stand strong so that I can say no when I need to say no, that I can walk away when I need to walk away, that I can recognize the lies before they actually start really baiting me to the point where I start falling, where I can keep my mouth closed in situations that don't require me to speak. All these temptations, all this baiting that I can stand and and say no to the immorality around me, that I can switch off the computer, that I can switch off the TV, and I can then, please hear me, by example say that same thing to my kids. And that even if they don't like the, you shouldn't do that, they can see the fruit of doing that in your life. That starts before the battle. The battle has already started. There's a danger in our Christian world of getting too comfortable. But things are going well now. I, it's great. I'm, I don't have any of that tension. It's good. And we relax and... Maybe we stop praying every day and maybe we don't read our Bibles. Maybe we pull away from church and biblical community. Maybe everything's good. And I was thinking about this. I was preparing and the the image that came to my mind were the old Western movies. I love the Western genre. I love watching uh, Western movies with the cowboys. And and I had this image. You remember usually at night they would have the fire going and they would all lie around the fire and it always looks so idyllic and warm and cozy. Now a little bit later on I'm going, oh man, that would probably be terrible. There's snakes and 
bugs and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, in the movies, like, wow, that looks so comfortable. You know, one of them's got the pipe going, and one's got a drink going. Non-alcoholic, obviously. And uh, it's church. And, you know, it's just comfortable. But then what's happening in the woods is the good guys, all the bad guys, are sneaking up on the camp, ready to pounce, and they're being complete disarray. They'd be running around frantic because the consequences of their comfort is now resulting in being attacked in such a way that it's going to have severe consequences to them. And I had that image in my mind. I, want to, I don't want to over-spiritualize and say that was from the Lord, but I really felt that there are many times that we are comfortable asleep around the fire. That the warm, cozy glow of our lives gives us this comfort. Whereas we're not realizing that in the shadows, in the shadows is an enemy. And maybe they're picking off the weak one in your family. Your kids. Maybe they're picking off you. But because we're so comfortable that these flaming arrows, as, as Paul calls them, come out of nowhere. These flaming arrows that, 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 that come shooting at us. And he actually says it in the scripture that flaming arrows, that they're not just arrows, they're on fire and because our habits, our poor habits, our habits that we do constantly and those habits that we should be doing that we're not doing are not in place or are in place that we get comfortable. Some of the soundest advice that I've ever heard when it comes to spiritual warfare, which is what we would say as Christians I'm talking about this morning, is how do we resist those flaming arrows? Really simply, and this isn't my stuff, this is something I heard a number of years ago and I thought that's really simple and very helpful. As Christians, we should be identifying those things that draw us to Jesus and do them. And as Christians, we should be identifying those things that draw us away from Jesus and don't do them. I like simple but what we do is we get comfortable and, and things are going well in life and, 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 and it's too late. Because when those flames are heading towards us and we're not prepared, it's too late. It's too late. You can pull out your Bible, you can start praying, you can go to church and all those things are good and I encourage that. I'm not saying it's too late for God, but it's too late to be stood prepared. You see, God in his wisdom allows us to live life in the middle of skirmishes. You know what a skirmish is? It's not a full-on battle. It's those little battles that happen on the edges of the war. It's those little skirmishes that you get yourself into. And as Christians, I think God in his wisdom allows us to go through skirmishes on a day-to-day basis where it's not full-on battle, but it's enough to keep us on our toes. It's enough to uh, keep us with our eyes open, ready. It's enough for us to capture the thoughts and Make us battle ready so that when the battle does come, we can stand and we can stand strong. And so as I'm talking this morning, I'm I'm wondering pastorally, what are the skirmishes that perhaps you are failing in? Because if we can't fight the skirmishes strong, then we have little to no chance of coming out of the battle strong. What do the skirmishes look like for you? It, It can be as simple as surfing a certain app little skirmish, just a little, how are you going to do with this? Maybe it's a certain person. Maybe it's a certain environment you put yourself into. Maybe it's certain things you say. Just little, not full-on battles, but just enough opportunity for us to seek out change and to identify, I need to bring that to the Lord. 
Because if we fail at those, then we're going to fail at preparing to stand strong. And so this is a really serious topic because it's literally life and death. It's literally consequences of life or consequences of death. Remember last week I talked about light and darkness? Not just darkness, but very dark, deep darkness. And if you, I'm sure, know of situations around you where you can go, yeah, I can see darkness. I've even experienced darkness. So as a pastor and as a friend, as somebody who loves you, I want to say, let's prepare well, friends. Let's be people. Let's understand that as Christians, when you became a Christian, you signed up to be in the army. And unfortunately, in our history, we've kind of made that, and Satan's pretty clever. We've made that whole imagery of being in the army, this kind of cute, Onward Christian soldiers, you know, let's, 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 let's dress up our kids. What do they call it in Britain when we had the little ones? Boys and Girls Brigade. Did you have that in Britain, uh, in Canada? It's like, we're in the brigade. And, it, and we, I think the enemy's done a great job of belittling what it actually means to be a Christian. You're a Christian and you're at war. And you see, I noticed that when you talk to young people about war, that you're in a battle. It's not just about being a Christian because you get great benefits, but you've enlisted. You're enlisted to wage war against the enemy that is seeking to destroy our culture. And we do that by preparing well. So how? How do we do that? How do we prepare to stand strong? Well, Paul goes into some detail, carries on in the same chapter. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And then he lists them. And there are seven things, including prayer in the Spirit. And I'd love to be able to go through each one of them, but I I haven't got the time this morning. But here's what I just want you to notice. It's a really nice sandwich. The belt of truth is there first for a reason. It's actually a poor translation I discovered this week, belt. Because we think of belt, this belt. Uh, And actually what it was uh, more likely to be is one one of these. Um, which, is, which is a full, it's almost like a vest that everything else, all the rest of the armor is placed on. And it actually gives some protection. It's the foundation. It's the center who the soldier is. And, and so when Paul says, put on the belt of truth, he's actually talking about truth becoming first and foundational. What's interesting is later on in the passage, he also talks about the sword and the word, the, the Bible. So Bible and truth are different in Paul's minds. He's talking about the truth that we center our lives on, our foundation. What do we stand upon? What do we believe about ourselves? Because if you go back to this list, righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of truth, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, those are things that as Christians are yours. You already have them. They're yours. Through Jesus Christ, you are not only able to resist the enemy, you're able to overcome the enemy because Jesus overcome the enemy. The battle is already won. You are called as a soldier to stand strong, believing that you have these things fitted. And so when Paul talks about the belt of truth, he's saying all those other things hang on to that that you need to understand the truth about yourselves as Christians, who you are. That when you wake up in the morning, that literally you're at war. But you're not going ill-equipped. 
You're not going with no equipment. You are going with those gifts that Jesus died to give you. They're yours. But the reality is, is we know that up here, but we don't actually know it by experience. We don't really believe it. Because we haven't prepared well, we failed often, and our failure has resulted in lies going into our minds that then go into our hearts so that when the attack comes, we think, well, I'm screwed. Or God doesn't help. Or God won't. Whereas the reality is, if we prepare well, make the foundation of truth strong in our lives, teach our children how to make the truth strong in our lives, so that all the other things hang on. So when the lie comes, we're like, no. That's not who I am. I am not that person. That is old to me. I am a new person in Christ. Jesus Christ died so that I could have that righteousness, so that I can resist that. I am not going down. And you speak truth to yourself. This isn't prosperity gospel nonsense. This is Bible. This isn't speaking, you know, like verses, like a mantra, like a spell over your life. Like if I say this verse 17 times before 5 a.m. in the morning, then God will give me this. That's not... That's that's not what it's about. What it is, is you are training your mind. You are transforming what you believe. And if we parents, if we miss the opportunity to teach our children the importance of foundational truth and how we prepare well, then we are literally taking them armorless and we are putting them in front of the enemy and we're going, have at it. Have at it. Well, maybe if I can just stop the TV. No, no, no. That's not going to help. They're armorless. So how do we teach them to get a foundation of truth so that when they come into a relationship with Jesus, their first reflex, their first impulse, their first thought is that I am not that person. I am this person in Jesus Christ. And if they've not come into a relationship with Jesus yet and you are believing in faith that they will, praise God, keep believing. But they will be watching you. They'll be watching you. So if we don't place godly habits first in our lives, they will notice. And it doesn't matter what we say when they're 17, 18, they'll have been watching for 17 and 18 years. Now I say this from experience, but also from observation pastorally. It's very difficult to reorient. It's not impossible, it's just difficult to reorientate a kid who has had 17, 18 years of observing something contrary to what you're saying. Church is the most important thing in our lives. You should go to church. And sometimes we use church like a band-aid. Well, if I can just get them into church, then all these other flaming arrows won't happen. Whereas that's not true because if you've not made church a priority in your life, why would they make church a priority in their life? They're going to have to go on their own journey on that. And it's going to take some time. I'm not seeking to condemn. I'm, I'm just... The reality that that's the case. So if your kid doesn't come to church and you've been every week, you can, it's, um, it's not a formula. But in years to come, they'll remember, my mom and dad, church was really important to them. So when they're in the center of the battle, they'll revert to good habits, we believe and pray in faith. Amen? So this isn't condemnation. This is encouragement. Parents who are, who've got kids who are struggling... Keep up with your godly habits. Keep preparing for the battle. So that when their battle comes, maybe they'll run towards the one who can truly save them. So we need to develop these new thoughts, these new reflexes, these new responses. What do soldiers do? They drill. They have a drill. They've got to drill it into themselves. So it's just impulsive. 
This is who I am. I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to look that way. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say this. It's impulsive. It's reflective of who they already are. So this understanding of making truth the center of our life is so vital. So let's just backtrack. We're in a battle. It's real. And it wants to seek. And it wants to kill. And it wants to destroy. How do we prepare for the battle well? Because we need to prepare before the battle actually begins. The real, strong, hard battle. Well, God's given us skirmishes. He's allowed us opportunity to actually fight on a daily basis. To test out the armor, if you like. But we need to make sure we have that armor in place. Founded on good truth. So that we know who we are in Christ. That we have this armor in the first place. So that we understand that God is for us. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we change our reflexes? How do we, I should have had a great reveal here, but they've all appeared on the same screen. That's okay. How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we get this reflex in our minds and model it well to our kids? How do we do that? Well, the first thing is, is that we need to, surprise, surprise, we need to know the truth. Secondly, we need to know the presence of God. There's a really great verse. Do not conform. What's going on here? Double. (laughs) Curtis, help me out, buddy. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is actually not a typo. It's metamorpho by the renewing of your mind. Everybody together? Metamorpho. Yeah, you trailed off at the end just like I did when I first said it. Metamorpho. That word transformed means thinking. So please, please listen to this. I want to land this plane. It's so important. We need to have our minds renewed. You know that scripture, Romans 12, 2. We need to, we need to transform our thinking. How do we do that? How do we do that? Jesus spoke to it in John chapter 8. If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, what we do is, if you know my teaching, but Jesus actually says, you need to hold on to my teaching. Your teaching is not just a knowing, but it's a holding on. You hold on to the truth. Are you making the truth part of your life? Are you reading the scriptures in such a way where you are seeking to apply it to who you are, that you're praying it through, that you are praying it into your life? Because our Bible reading and our meditating on the Scripture and our study of the Word of God is giving us truth. And this transforming actually happens as we start applying that truth to our own lives. Where we start experiencing what it feels like to be righteous as Jesus gave us. Or feeling the belt of truth and feeling the shield of faith. That We need to have that truth in our lives. So if we're not spending time reading and we're not filling our mind with truth and we're just filling our mind with other stuff, then there is no wonder when the skirmish comes that we fail. So we need to hold on the truth and that truth will set us free. We need to remind ourselves of who we already are. The second thing is really exciting. The presence of God. Christians, there is no way that I could fully describe in a way that would be sufficient the privilege that you have to be able to enter into the presence of God because the presence of God is actually already in you. Moses had to climb a mountain. You just got to close your eyes and quiet yourself. That the presence of God, that you can sit in the presence of God where he will take that truth 
and he will put it into you and you, will, you can feel it, you can sense it. Because right at the beginning, we were separated from God. And through Jesus Christ and through us believing, as Laura's already shared, this, this faith, this belief in Jesus Christ, that, that gap, that distance is closed, that we become one with him, which is where we get the word atonement, at one man, that we become one with God. We don't become gods, but we become one with him. That his spirit is placed in us. And so if on a daily basis we're closing our eyes and we're just seeking his presence, then we are preparing for the battle. We're preparing for the battle. God is a healer. God is a a transformer. He takes what is broken and he makes it whole. Sometimes you don't even need to say anything. When was the last time you just quieted yourself before the Lord? You maybe just read the Bible. You don't need to say anything. Just enjoy your Father's presence. See, the presence of God is the greatest greatest gift and it empowers us and it strengthens us and it prepares us and it readies us for battle so that when we go just like David ran on the back of who he knew God was to be we can run now the beauty is is that Jesus already secured the victory over Goliath we don't have to do that he's already done it but we get to run like the Israelites chased after David we get to be one of them We can chase after Jesus and say, yeah, I want to join in on the victory. That's us. We're not the David. We're the Israelites, by the way. We're the ones sat around comfortable on the side of the hill waiting for Jesus to have the victory so that when we go, oh, great, now we can run. We have that privilege. We have that presence. We have that king. And we can run. But if you're not putting that into your life and putting that into your heart and having your life and mind transformed so it's reactionary so that when something does come you know who you are and you can tell your kids who they are then we're going to be left wanting so really simply his presence plus his truth equals prepared for battle that's why i said right at the beginning that we have something the world does not have because all they have is hope and self-help And other good things, there's nothing wrong with all that. But we have something in us. So that when the flaming arrows come, and and they will. So are you under attack? Yes, you are. We can see that. We know that all the time. Are you being baited? Yes. Are you surrounded by skirmishes every day? Are you prepared for the battle? It's a question you need to ask yourself. Are you spending time in his truth? Are you enjoying his presence? Do you feel prepared, not only for your own battles, but to model it well to those people that God has given you charge and responsibility for? You see, the beautiful thing is, is the scriptures. This is one of my favorite scriptures, and we're going to spend seven weeks doing this, which is why I'm so excited about this new series. It takes us all the way up to Easter. We're going to look at the first six chapters of John. So read ahead. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I like that. He pioneered it in you and for you as a Christian, and he will perfect it. And we need to fix our eyes upon him. It's why we follow him. And, and next week as we jump into this new series, Jesus, Light of the World, this is what he said about himself. He, I am the light, and we can have that light. So the next seven weeks is part of the preparation that we can take part in to actually go into the battle. We can meditate on his scriptures and, and feel and sense his presence.
I asked Sarah if we could uh, sing a little chorus that I certainly grew up in church singing, which was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. How many of you know that chorus? How many of you are already singing it in your mind? Beautiful. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. You see, that to me is where enjoying his presence starts, just placing our focus upon him, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Maybe this is the first time you've done it ever. You just close your eyes and you go, man, I, I don't understand all this, but it's the, it's the Lord's dad's prayer. God, help me. Help me. Maybe it's been a long time since you've actually fixed your eyes upon Jesus and enjoyed his wonderful face. Sarah and the team are going to lead us in this and and I, and I wanted us just to enjoy the moment for a few minutes as we think about who we are in Christ. And we will be prepared for the battle that rages. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, team. Oh, dear Lord. I confess, Father, that when I attempt to communicate this truth, that Lord truly is life and death, that God, I, I confess that I feel like I fail to convey your love, your passion, your trust, your faithfulness, your strength, your power. But Lord, that that mere words, Father, fail. But God, I'm grateful that where we fail, where I fail, that Lord, you succeed. And just in a moment, as we place our attention upon you, Jesus, we can be reminded and so much more of who you are and what you have done and what you have given us. And so, Lord, I pray for these good people, many of whom I've known for a long time. Lord, I love this church. I love these people and the families and their kids. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we as a church family would firmly put you first. To place our attention upon you, Jesus. And even though there are times when it feels like our kids are just not getting it, that, Lord that we would love them. But Lord, we would love you more. And so Lord, I pray for the parents in the room that are, that are struggling right now with, with situations in the family. And God, I pray you would give them great security and peace. But Lord, that you would speak to them and let them know enough. You've done enough. done enough leave the rest to me just be faithful worship him fix your eyes upon Jesus and Lord I pray you would make us a family a church Lord an army that is strong for the battle Lord I pray we would be truth filled truth speaking people we would be unapologetic about our faith just like that young man in Laura's dad's world. Unapologetic, Lord. 
believing that you change lives. Lord, I pray for those who are in the middle of a deep battle. Oh, God, encourage them. Whisper strength into their lives, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.